Do you want to feel strong, confident, and ready to enjoy life? I'm Jen Shaver, a triple certified fitness expert and mother living her best midlife. I want to help you achieve a healthy, active lifestyle without ever having to go to the gym. We grow together every Monday, so be sure to subscribe and tune in to your weekly fit news. This episode of Fit News is sponsored by... Make wellness a priority in your life. Women's bodies face changes and fluctuations in hormones as they go through the cycle of menopause. Strong for Life offers an exercise program to help you invest in your future and health without crazy routines. We deliver the results you deserve from your time and effort. Go to strongforlifefitness.com to learn more. Now back to our show. Hello and welcome to the Fit News Podcast. I'm your host, Jen Shaver. Joining me today is very special guest, Marie Hoig. She is a clinical hormone coach, an HRT physician educator, perimenopause and menopause specialist, and speaker with over 20 years of professional experience. She has worked directly with hormone therapy physicians and patients, utilizing the most advanced and cutting edge hormone replacement therapy approaches on the market. She understands what happens to a woman's brain and body when she has too little estrogen and what happens when she has enough. Marie is a strong advocate for estrogen and optimal estrogen levels in women. With over 15 years of clinical and academic research in estrogen, estrogen deficiency diseases, menstrual cycle establishment and regulation, and advanced female hormone restoration therapies, coupled with her own personal HRT experience and experience as a clinical hormone coach with over 30,000 patients. Marie started her Menopause Moxie website and blog to educate women after she realized that women and doctors lack knowledge and truth regarding menstrual cycle regulation, PMS, PMDD, perimenopause, and menopause reversal prevention. Marie joins us today to chat about all things that women need to know about. Marie, thank you for taking the time to join us today. Hey, Jen, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. It's nice to be here with you. Yeah. Let's get started with um, how did you get started in all of this? Well, it's something I stumbled upon, really. It's something that evolved it's I didn't seek out this type of uh, career by any means. Yeah, I was when I first started, I was a medical practice consultant that helped physicians transition their practice out of insurance based care into a cash based business model mm-hmm. so they can practice medicine as they see fit. Right. Yeah. So a lot of doctors who do alternative medicines they're you know, they really wear these handcuffs that keep them from really uh practicing medicine and making the recommendations they need because they're under just this restriction of conventional medicine and what they can say and what they can prescribe and do. Right. So they, so what I would do is go in and find their niche and find out, you know, what are they good at? And then I would build a business around that. Yeah. Yeah. And then you became, then I, (laughs) then Then you blossomed. And then one of my clients, and I came across a physician who was not okay with this writing prescriptions to treat the symptoms of hormone deficiency. Mm -hmm. And uh, it 
at the same time I was working with his physician, I had become his patient. Yeah. And I was having my own problems with mental illness, severe depression, uh, anxiety, um, some real suicidal ideation, especially right before my period. I had severe, well, PMDD, which is the severe form of PMS. Okay. And so as I was working for him and with him, I was, I, I pay attention when I work with a physician in the beginning to the type of practice that they're, um, that they have, what their, what their patient base is and what mm -hmm. the results, the results that their patients are getting. So I can get an idea about the doctor's approach and how can I make this doctor better and, and present him as an expert in his field. But what I was seeing in this particular clinic that patients were getting better each time they came in instead of worse. Mm -hmm. They would leave with less prescriptions instead of more. Oh, wow. And at the same time, I was going through something myself with my hormone therapy and my life questioning is what I'm doing as a result you know, if, if, is what I'm feeling a result of what I'm doing. Yeah. And then I'm watching it with patients. And so it made me very curious as to, well, this is pretty interesting. Mm -hmm. um, and I wanted to dig into it further. So I started to uh, talking to the doctor. We decided to go to the one, the Institute for Functional Medicine at that time was conjoined with the American Academy of Anti-Aging Medicine. And they were really the only ones who offered alternative medicine training that doctors could, you know, really use in the clinic. Mm -hmm. So, you know, this, um, there weren't too many alternative medicine uh, uh, education training for physicians in the United States. There were some gurus coming over from Europe, like Dr. Harry or Dr. Terry Hertog, which we learned about uh, thyroid. And that was really an eye-opening experience, the relationship between thyroid and estrogen and testosterone. Right. But when I started to learn these things, um, well, one, it was very intimidating going to these conferences when I wasn't a physician. Yeah. But I was so hungry to learn that, you know, if you pay the tuition, they let you go. <laughs> <laughs> Here I was showing up with these physicians, um, but what I found very curious was as I was learning these things, I noticed that the doctors in the room with me were learning these things at the same time. And because uh, in my mind as a patient, I'm thinking, I'm going to you to give me the answers to why I feel like this. And why is it that you and I are both going, oh, at the same time in the same lecture? Right. I mean, this shouldn't be the case. This made me a little nervous. And then I started to think, well, what are you, what are they teaching you in med school? And so then I real, and then I started to realize that doctors are really only trained in med school, how to manage the symptoms of disease. Yeah. And so this, answered a lot of questions for me, like, you know, why am I as old as I am? And I'm still on antidepressants and all these psychotropic drugs, you know, to manage the symptoms that what I'm finding now on hormone therapy that I don't need anymore. Yeah. So it was just this transitional at the same time, watching patients in the office, 
learning this at the conferences. And then I started to dig around in the research in the National Library of Medicine to find out why aren't we doing this? If what we're seeing in the clinic is that if you restore hormones the right way and with the right amounts of hormones, with the right HRT system, that patients no longer have these things that doctors are taught to manage the symptoms of with psychotropic drugs. Yeah. So this really uh, opened my eyes to alternative medicine and, and approaches. And so this evolved over the years uh, in the clinic. And I realized that it's not just about hormone therapy. It's mm -hmm. about what patients were eating and what they were doing with their lives. And it was a combination between diet, lifestyle, and hormone replacement therapy. Yeah. Not just any kind of hormone therapy. I've been on every type of hormone replacement therapy available, most except with the, with the exception of pellet therapy for good mm -hmm. reason. Mm -hmm. But when I was experiencing these things and feeling these things and working with patients, it, it, it started to really bother me that this mm -hmm. wasn't first line therapy in medical offices, that doctors really, it's not that doctors didn't want to help women. They just weren't given the right tools. Mm -hmm. So, so why do you think though, that, you know, doctors are not so inclined to go to um, HRT as, as a first line of defense, I would say, because I, I feel like there's a lot that go towards um, antidepressants first rather than looking into HRT. Yeah. So a lot of what I'm going to say about the pharmaceutical industry is going to you know anger a lot of people. <laughs> go for it. Let's go. <laughs> but I asked that question, you know, it's like if, if, if I'm experiencing this as a patient, yeah, and I'm witnessing the same things in uh, hundreds of patients, hundreds. Yeah. I mean, it's like patient after patient after patient, and the, the, it's so consistent. Why it? Why aren't these doctors taught this? Yeah. So I started having conversations with doc when I go to conferences. You know, I started having conversations with physicians and the physicians that I worked with. You know, why is it that you go to the antidepressants, the psychotropic drugs? Yeah. And they said, well, because this is what we were taught. When a patient it presents this symptomology, this symptomatology, this is what you're supposed to do. Wow. You write prescriptions to treat the symptoms. It's about treating the symptoms that the patients are coming in to the clinic with, mm -hmm. not finding out, well, why do you have depression? Where are these migraines coming from? Even when the doctor assesses that the migraines are coming from the luteal phase in the, in the menstrual cycle for women, when estrogen is the lowest. Right. Doctors don't even know to make that connection that estrogen drops so low in the luteal phase that this triggers migraines. Instead, they're taught to prescribe, well, you know, Emetrex, that was, you know, that's a harsh, harsh drug, though it's yeah. very relieving, uh, but it's harsh. Yeah. So then, you know, uh, come to find out, well, doctors are taught to manage the symptoms of pharmaceutical drugs, but it keeps the patient in a state of illness and disease. And so the pharmaceutical companies fund medical schools. Well, they're not going to. And then, of course, when you fund a medical school, if you <laughs> were to fund a medical school, you would have some say in the curriculum. Right. No pharmaceutical industry wants to fund a medical school that's going to teach the doctors how to fix the problem naturally. You know, the goal is to sell drugs, sell yeah. these, these prescriptions to patients 
who otherwise wouldn't need those things if the doctors were taught how to fully restore hormones or prevent this decline from ever happening. Yeah. So there's just this general fear of estrogen's bad, uh, even though a doctor, no doctor can tell you that they've ever had a patient that got cancer from estrogen. Right. There's just this underlying fear and there's no real study that proves this. Yeah. Yeah. Why, why do you think there is such a fear of estrogen? Because it keeps doctors from prescribing it yeah. and it keeps women from taking it at yeah. adequate doses. Yeah. But because women have been screaming for it for so long and the pharmaceutical industry has found a way to patent it. So you can't patent a natural product. You can't. Estrogen is derived from a Mexican wild yam. It's a natural substance. You can't patent that, but you can patent the delivery system. Mm -hmm. So once the pharmaceutical industry said, oh, we can patent the, the patch and, and, uh, and uh, the mechanism for how the estrogen absorbs through the skin that you can patent. They don't, Mm -hmm. they didn't patent the estrogen. They patented the patch, right? The spray, you know, so they got around that and they were able to get patents together so they can make money off of estrogen. But the solution, it's not the solution as it's presented with regards to like, say, patch hormone therapy, because the dose is too low. And what happens is when you keep the dose low, when you keep hormones low, it fixes the problem for a short period of time because the dose is too low. The brain and body of women require so much more estrogen than what the patch and low dose therapies provide. So those systems typically stop working in about three to six to nine months pretty much max for most women. And so if this is the case, you can appease women by saying, oh, I'm going to give you hormone therapy. See, we're modern. Yeah, We'll give you hormones. We'll give you estrogen, but they don't tell you they're they're, they're prescribing it at suboptimal levels. The dose is just much too low. Mm -hmm. Patient will feel good right away. So they think they're getting this relief. Oh, I feel good. But then it stops working because like I said, the brain and body require more. So women go back to headaches, feeling horrible, low libido, low energy, getting fat, can't lose weight, suicidal ideation, depression, Mm -hmm. mood swings. Oh, the mood swings are horrible. And so now the doctor's like, well, you're on hormone therapy. I don't know what your problem is because the hormones work for everybody else there. So they don't work for you. So here, take this antidepressant, take this anti-anxiety take this cocktail of psychotropic drugs. So now everybody's happy. You have your hormones. The pharmaceutical company can make their money off of these psychotropic drugs that we can continue to prescribe. So yeah, there's just this illusion or delusion that women are getting their hormones balanced when they're really not. Mm-hmm. And uh, then they jump from one doctor to the next because each doctor says, oh, I can help you. I'm a hormone specialist. I'm a menopause specialist. I'm a perimenopause specialist. I'll get your hormones balanced. But in reality, they don't even know what that term means. Looking for a fitness program that fits into your busy schedule? Look no further than Strong for Life Light. Our brand new program offers whole workouts every month that you can do from the comfort of your own home. No need to worry about missing classes or juggling gym time with family time. Join Strong for Life Light today and get on track to a healthier you. Now back to this episode of the Fit News Podcast. Let's talk about that because there's quite a few terms out there that get thrown around, right? That, um, you know, we're used to seeing. And so let's, let's dive into a few of those. 
Yeah, which one would you like to start with? <laughs> you pick. Choose your favorite. <laughs> My favorite is the term hormonal balance. Okay. This term gets thrown around a lot. Mm -hmm. Hormone hormone balancing, hormonal balance. There's a lot of women selling products to other women saying that, oh, you take these supplements, it'll balance your hormones, take this oil, do this, it'll balance your hormones. But what women aren't challenging these other people with saying, well, what do you mean by balance my hormones? How are you measuring that? Mm -hmm. Like, because this person said that this oil will balance my hormones and I don't feel any better. And you're saying that if I take this, it'll balance my hormones. Well, what does that mean? Yeah. What does hormonal balance mean? Yeah. And this is the part that really aggravated me because there is a real term for hormonal balance. Mm -hmm. And there aren't too many people who really understand this because hormonal balance happens when each hormone is fully restored to its optimal capacity. So people say, well, you might get some symptom relief, but that doesn't mean your hormones are balanced. Right. So I've discovered what this, what is hormonal balance. And so I watched this in the clinic when I started to measure how women felt over time, because I saw the changes that took place. I mostly started to monitor clinical indicators in the, in the office, in the clinic, because when women got their hormones balanced for real, there was this, there was a place of hormonal balance where it was stable. Yeah. Where there were no more mood swings. There was fat loss. The body was shaping up. The muscles were densing up. The bones were densing up. And we those saw are, this. Those are the, the most important factors right there. Very much so. I mean, if you're taking hormone replacement therapy, a good, adequate dose HRT system, your bones will dense up. And boy, mm -hmm. it, it doesn't take, what, three to six months to do a bone density scan after taking an adequate dose of hormone therapy. And that was probably the biggest thing for me is mm -hmm. when I started to see things uh, in this, this clinical data. So I started watching these bone density scans coming back. Yeah. Uh, and I was like, this is interesting. So you no longer have osteopenia. You no longer have osteoporosis. You used to, you were told that this is something that was going to progress and get worse for you, but this was reversible. Wow. And then, so I, I started, and then I started noticing that depression was reversible. I mean, how do you, at what point do you realize that, well, when you give a woman enough hormones, the right amounts or the right hormones, and they're all these hormones are hovering in that their own sweet spot that allow the woman to really function and thrive. You see these things that take place. Well, yeah, the depression is gone, but we've seen this before and it's temporary. Yeah. And we found that it wasn't temporary and months and months and years and years would go by that the patient didn't have depression, even when things challenged them in their life. Like with, and I was going through this at the same time. So I was finding that I was so severely depressed going into this. Yeah. I had been, I had probably had checked myself into the, a mental hospital about three times in my lifetime. And I've had about three suicide attempts in my lifetime. Wow because it got so bad, yeah. my PMDD, that I really felt that the world was better off without me. And I just yeah. couldn't cope. And my children were better off without me. And then when I saw this with myself thinking, boy, it's been a couple of years since I felt that way. Yeah. I haven't, not even close. 
And I was challenged with some pretty heavy things in my life, like the death of my mother and some divorce and that sort of thing, the things that would normally trigger me into this depression. And then I saw this with patients, but I saw that this was a process over a period of time and that the more optimal the hormones got in the blood and that these hormones were in their right ranges, patients weren't going back to those things. They weren't It wasn't like a first and second generation HRT system, like the low dose systems, you were able to maintain that and it didn't go away. And so this made me really curious. So I started to monitor the top 50 clinical indicators that both men and women go through. So I have a a men's clinical indicator assessment Mm -hmm. and a a female clinical indicator assessment. So I noticed that as women were feeling better and they were just feeling so good and they talking about how they were happy every day. Like I was feeling like there was not a day that went by that I just wasn't happy. Yeah. Even when things weren't good, you know, if it was a bad day at work or I knew I was challenged at work. So because women were saying, oh, well, no, I was always this good. I'm like, no, you weren't always this good. (laughs) You weren't always this happy. They forgot how bad it was. Yeah. So then I started to track. So every time a patient would come in, we would monitor from zero to four, 50 different clinical indicators from hot flashes to night sweats, to mood swings, weight gain, irritability, those types of things. Right. All the typical symptoms. Yeah. Yeah. That people are selling products to manage. Right. That I bought, you know, I'll take this, I'll take this, give me this, I'll buy this, anything Uh to help this, but it wasn't working. Right. And because I wanted to see this consistency. So then I realized that, well, by the time the patient came in to fill out that form, they had already taken their blood work about two weeks prior. Mm -hmm. So we were using this clinical indicator assessment and matching it up against blood work. And then I, and then the patient, the blood work wasn't necessarily coinciding with the clinical indicator assessment. And then we started to realize that how women felt worked in real time. So then I started to have patients take the clinical indicator assessment the morning of their blood draw. Okay. And then we can see. So when the clinical indicator score was high, meaning there was a lot of high fours and a lot of the heart palpitations and, uh, you know, the night sweats and that, and that sort of thing, we would notice that the estrogen was low. So when we matched up the clinical indicator assessment with blood work, we noticed that estrogen worked in real time. And this is what really convinced us. Yeah. So, and then I just, I tested everything to the nth degree that I legally and possibly could. Yeah. So when a patient would call on the phone and they would have a meltdown, um, this is usually in the beginning of hormone therapy or right before they start hormone therapy, when women think that they're going to feel good and then they start to panic to think, oh, it's not going to work for me. So they're on the phone, just panicking and panicking. And I say, okay, go down and let's get your estrogen checked. Mm-hmm. And then typically what we saw was the estrogen was just non-existent. Wow. And then when patients would call and say, oh my gosh, I feel so good on these hormones. I want to make my next appointment. I want to send my daughter. And, and they're talking about how good they feel, I would say, would you mind going and getting your blood drawn? And so I started doing this and started to realize these women that were telling us how good they felt, their estrogen was hovering in a particular range. Yeah. And then when they said that they were feeling cruddy, their estrogen was in a particular range. Yeah. So, and then there was this, this transitional time period getting into that range. So this, and then going through my experience with this. So I was experiencing what the patients were talking about and then what we were learning. So all these things coming together 
really gave me some insight as to, oh, okay. So each hormone, if you can restore estrogen into a particular range, mm-hmm. progesterone in a particular range, optimal range, testosterone, thyroid, all the main and secondary hormones for women, then women don't have these irregular menstrual cycles. They don't have mood swings. They don't have PMS. They certainly don't have PMD, PMDD. Right. They, in, in fact, the biggest complaint really is, oh, I didn't know I was going to start my period. Right. Because there was no leading up to that with mood swings and emotional instability and pelvic inflammation and pain. Right. And, and, you know, and I think that's something that, that is important to recognize that, you know, we're taught that PMS is quote unquote normal, right? Oh yeah. We hear it all the time. Oh, it's all everyone, all patients have PMS. It's like, yeah. well, did, did they, I mean, what a, I always go back to Laura Ingalls. Well, <laughs> I don't think pioneering women had PMS. It wasn't something that anybody spoke about. Mm-hmm. And even in the late 1800s, you didn't really hear, you hear about some mood issues, but that's when women were a little older. Yeah. What we found out now is perimenopause. Yeah. So that was, we didn't really see the crazy in women right. until, you know, about that in that transitional time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, behaviors and how women feel is different if women maintain their estrogen and say the 300 to 500 range. Mm-hmm and progesterone somewhere in the 10 to 20 range, 10 to 25 range, their clinical indicator score is much different than those women who had progesterone suboptimal and estrogen suboptimal, like nearly Mm -hmm. non-existent. Yeah. And then you see the clinical indicator score lower as the hormones became optimal. And so this is what really opened my eyes to, wow, it's the hormones that really affect women and mental illness. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that hormones, especially estrogen, is responsible for all mental illness. Right. But what we did see is about 80 to 85% of the mental illness diagnoses that women get are directly related to hormone deficiency. Wow. And then, so you're working with a, a small group of mental health professionals right now that I may have spoken about with you before. Mm-hmm talking with them, they're just so hungry for this information. It's like, okay, so if I get my patient's hormones balanced, I'll take care of the mental illness associated with hormone deficiency. And then if there's any mental illness left, then it's a different issue. It's something else. And then we deal with it in another way. Right. Because I just the mental illness that I'd struggled with over the years, I was told I would be clinically depressed for my entire life. Wow. When I was, I think I was 17, I was told this. And it was quite deep. That's a long time to have to deal with that. It really was. But well, I was told that that was my life. Yeah. I bought that narrative. I bought, well, I'm depressed. Therefore, I'm unable. You can't expect as much out of me. Yeah. So I was telling people that, but I was also believing it. Mm -hmm. But then a part of me inside also didn't believe it. Yeah didn't feel like I had a mental illness. Yeah. But because in the luteal phase of my cycle, my PMS, my PMDD, when I felt like hell and I felt like I couldn't cope and I was extremely incapable of even functioning in my daily life, Mm -hmm. excuse for not really being accountable 
for my inaction, the things I knew I was supposed to do to progress myself as a human, yeah, as a woman and as a, um, you know, a mother. And so I really, I was going between my follicular phase when my estrogen was higher, feeling empowered and feeling strong and feeling like I can pretty much conquer anything. But boy, in my luteal phase, I was weak. I was mentally weak. And this is when all my excuses came out. I'm depressed. I can't do this. I'm incapable. And then the people in my life are like, well, two weeks ago, you weren't. Yeah. Yeah. Two weeks ago. So So you're just making excuses now. And so people knew me as this bipolar person. Well, we know what you're capable of. So why are you acting so pathetic? Yeah. Because I feel pathetic. I don't feel like I can do those things. I don't know what's wrong with me. Mm -hmm. And so I go to my therapist. So I was in therapy for years. Why do I feel strong here? And I feel weak here. Why am I falling apart here? And I feel like I'm capable here. Oh, well, you have bipolar. So here we have a new medication for you. So this will help you. Yeah. Well, this just turned me into a shell of a woman. So it was quite a journey. So when I started to discover for myself that my mental illness was a hormone deficiency disease, it was a Mm -hmm. hormone deficiency issue. I don't have mental illness. There's nobody right now that can diagnose me with mental illness because I just don't have it. Yeah. Well, you take my estrogen away and my progesterone away. Yeah, I'll have mental illness guaranteed. I'll even tell you when. I'll get those diagnoses because it takes about three to six months. And then I'm pretty, I'm good with a list of about six to a dozen mental illness diagnoses that doctors will give me. And now I'll have uh, a long list of psychotropic drugs that will manage that. And that is our standard of care medicine Mm -hmm. that women face today when they go to the doctor. Yeah. This is, this is what saddens me because of how much women are suffering and are told that they have these mental illness diagnoses like bipolar, like I was diagnosed with bipolar because of this, oh, you feel good in your follicular phase and you feel like you want to kill yourself and everybody around you in your luteal phase. Oh, that's bipolar. Let's give it, that's not really truly bipolar, by the way. Yeah. Um, But it's, it's really, it's what's motivated me to want to make a difference and to Mm -hmm. let women know that you do have a choice. Is hormone optimization for everybody? No but it's for most. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and this is really why I say what I say. It's not because it's, I'm a theorist though. I've read a, a lot and I've done a lot of research and I've showed up at the conferences and the lectures and the workshops, but it's really what I've seen from a clinical perspective with thousands of women and myself that when estrogen gets too low for too long, it causes chaos in a woman's body and her mind. I mean, all the processes in a woman's body is, are completely dependent upon adequate levels of estrogen. Yeah. And we haven't even talked about the non-mental illness part of it, the physical part of it, but yeah. So how I got here and why I say what I say is because of my clinical experience, my education, mm-hmm. um, my professional experience as a clinical hormone coach. And now as a physician educator on teaching physicians how to properly prescribe HRT so women don't have to go through this. So they actually have a tool because where's a doctor going to go to learn how to do this? Yeah, this is this is I believe this is intentionally kept from them. Mm -hmm. So it's 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 driven me to put together a research foundation that offers a training for physicians. Yeah. 
so let's talk about, let's say there is a woman who is out there and struggling, just like you. Let's say she has severe PMS symptoms, right? How would you suggest that she go to and start a conversation with her doctor? And let's say she goes to start this conversation with her doctor. And how does she know that, you know, there's red flags from her doctor that the doctor isn't listening and she needs to go elsewhere? So when women start out and they feel cruddy, they're usually going to a conventional physician Mm -hmm. who, if most of them now where they didn't before, they'll prescribe a patch or a low dose hormone therapy because they have the package insert, the sample package insert, they can, oh, so now they have somebody telling them what to do and how to do it because they don't know what they're doing. Yeah. Oh, okay. I can call the pharmacist. The pharmacist will tell me, okay, to have the patient take the patch, you know, change the patch out a couple of times a week. And so they feel comfortable with this. However, like I said, this stops working. So the doctor is also writing prescriptions for psychotropic drugs to manage the symptoms, this low-dose patch. So then you have this these women that are saying, okay, well, this isn't working out very well. So they go into Facebook groups or they're searching, they're scouring the internet to try to find solutions about what other women have done successfully. Yeah. And then so they realize, oh, I have to go to an anti-aging doctor. I have to go to a hormone doctor or a menopause doctor who have gone to the American Academy of Anti-Aging Medicine. But this is where you get the formal training on patches. (laughs) (laughs) Start low, go slow. This is the extent of the education. There's no real education. The doctor is going from reading the hormone package in sample package insert on instruction. So now they're sitting into the lecture, listening to how estrogen impacts a woman. Yeah. But yet the doctors are taught how to prescribe low dose estrogen So you're getting a three to six month temporary relief. Now the patient's back to hormone deficiency again, Mm -hmm. but the doctors aren't taught how to measure these labs, the blood serum labs to understand how to fully prescribe hormones. So then these women go to these doctors who have been trained at the Institute for Functional Medicine or naturopathic doctors. It's the big thing. Let's go to a naturopath. They're trained in hormones. Well, they're trained in first low dose hormones. So there's four generations. There's first and second generation HRT systems are all low dose systems designed to keep hormones low to manage the symptoms of hormone deficiency while prescriptions are being written to manage the symptoms that the hormones are no longer able to take care of. And then there's more adequate dose therapies like rhythmic protocols, um, hormone therapies that actually mimic the natural physiology of each hormone and dosed in a way that actually triggers a receptor response in the brain uh, that changes brain function and uh, body function. Mm -hmm. And so these women go to the naturopaths, but they don't realize that yes, they may be a menopause expert, but they're only trained on low dose hormone therapies that stop working. So now they've just wasted a bunch of money. And then they spend actually in this cycle, jumping from one doctor to the next as they're going to each doctor. So the trick, and we're like, how do I find the doctor who actually prescribes that higher dose or the more adequate dose hormone therapy? Mm -hmm. It's really the language the doctor uses. The doctors who prescribe the adequate dose hormone therapies, it's very difficult to differentiate those doctors. So they're, 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 they're hard to find uh, one because they, they want to be found, but yet they don't want to be found because 
the hormone therapy they prescribe really goes against the conventional standard of care therapy Mm -hmm. where you keep the hormones low and then continue to write psychotropic drugs Mm -hmm. prescriptions. Because if you fully restore hormones into the optimal ranges of each hormone, there are there are very few prescriptions, if any, the patients need because you're giving the patient enough of the right hormones that right. fixes the deficiency that causes the side effects. So it makes it very difficult for women to find these doctors. Mm-hmm. They don't know. And so they just are bouncing from one doctor to the next. And this is where most women are yeah. until they find me. Or they find somebody who says, okay, well, what type of HRT system are you on? But it's more than just the HRT system, as you know, Jen. I mean, diet will play a big role in gut health. Right. So yeah, these women have a tough time finding doctors because they they think they're going to a hormone doctor or or a hormone specialist, but they really have no clue how good they can actually feel when they get enough of the right hormones. Right. Right. And it's not just like you said, it's not just for three to six months. It's ongoing. It's lifelong. Pretty much forever. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty much forever. If you can make, if you can establish optimal levels of the main sex hormones for men, it's testosterone for women, estrogen and progesterone really need to be looked at as one main sex hormone, two halves of one whole hormone. Especially if a woman has a uterus, you never want to prescribe estrogen without progesterone with a woman with a uterus. Mm Mm-hmm. The goal is to restore a healthy incident-free menstrual cycle with estrogen and progesterone if you dose it correctly. Mm-hmm. To do this, the brain and body of the woman is under the impression she's in a reproductive prime, not in a different lifestyle state, in a different life stage, mm-hmm. a reproductive life stage. So there's a, I don't want to say there's a bit of controversy, but there is. Yeah. Because there's a difference between managing low levels of hormones with drugs and low dose hormone therapy. And then you have a full restoration protocol that's designed to fully restore the hormones in a way that's sustainable. And that's the trick. So the longer I was in this in the clinic and saw how sustainable this was, because we had to graduate from the clinic from this low dose therapy. So now we started educating ourselves on the third generation HRT system, which is the rhythmic protocol, the, this particular system that we used, there's uh, several clinical flaws to it that really challenged physicians that were learning this. And we had to learn to navigate around those. Yeah, That's where doctors develop into a more of a fourth generation HRT system where it's more advanced, mm-hmm. where you really fix the, the nuances of the, the dosing for the patient. So when a patient comes in, checking the clinical indicator, oh, the patient still has headaches and still has some inability to lose weight. And Okay, well, then let's make this adjustment yeah. uh, with this hormone that's associated with that symptom, uh, those symptoms. And then you get those hormones dialed in so that the patient finds this sweet spot. Mm-hmm. And if you do it correctly, then the patient can maintain this stability this physiological stability, the, 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 the mental stability. And it's interesting to see over time, oh boy, this is stable. And then I'm finding out for myself, well, I can depend on myself now. Mm-hmm. I know I'm never going to have another mood swing. But when a woman realizes that she's never able, that she'll never have another mood swing, that changes how a woman lives her life. Right. 
Well, when a woman knows that every day she'll feel capable and, and she can depend on herself and she can trust herself to show up time after time after time, and she's not beholden to these this mental illness and these mood swings that keep her holding, that keep her down from really achieving what she wants to. I always felt like I was just in my follicular phase. I was capable. I was a mover. I was a shaker. I can get stuff done. Right. But boy, in my follicular phase, I was checked out. So for two, I was only, I was only really fully functional and alive for two weeks out of every month. Yeah. And I was half dead for the other two weeks. Yeah. And it really affects a woman's business, a woman's mind, a woman's capability. But when you give that woman the stability of every day feeling capable and strong, and she has the body she wants and her workouts are more impactful, it really does change the brain and body of a woman. It, right. Well, yeah, because then you're you're also more willing in, in terms of your lifestyle choices, right? You're, you're yeah. more willing to show up and make the right choices in terms of your eating and your exercise. My sugar addiction was so bad. Mm -hmm. Like I couldn't eat enough sugar. In fact, sugar was the main staple of my diet. I mostly ate sugar and simple carbohydrates, mm -hmm. which in turn contributed to my estrogen deficiency, Right, which shut down my ovaries. Yeah. So what I was doing was also contributing to this nightmare that I was living, but I didn't realize just how much estrogen influenced cravings in women. Yeah. Because I, it was just such a, I was so angry about this addiction that I was at a conference at, at Scripps. Uh, they had this uh, great uh, integrative medicine conference. It was the first one I believe they had, and there were some great gurus there. I believe Andrew Weil was there. Mark Hyman was there. David mm. Perlmutter was there. And, and uh, I think Dr. Mark Hyman was there and he had just written his book, The Ultramind Solution. I think I have an autographed copy. He um, talked about sugar addiction and, uh, and hormones and how to treat sugar addiction. And David Perlmutter was talking about bread and gluten. And these are, they, you don't hear these, never hear, heard these things in medical conferences. Right. And then what we were realizing that, well, when women had enough estrogen, they weren't craving these things. Uh -huh. And as I was optimizing my estrogen, I wasn't craving these things. But then I found that I had a habit that when I was under stress, I went towards those things. It wasn't because I was craving it now. So I had to go through my own journey of changing my dietary habits yeah. now because I didn't really know any other way. Yeah. And so, yeah, it really it does. The hormones influence our motivation to work out mm -hmm. and the impact of our working out. So I got to, women get a greater uh, impact of their workouts when they optimize their hormones. And then so, uh, I was able to see this for myself and talk to our patients about it and watch them make these, this transformation. And they would come back and say, oh my gosh, I can't believe I did the same workout and I have more energy and I wanted to keep going and yeah, not as pooped and I yeah. not sore the next day. So yeah, when you, when you yeah. see the, not only in yourself, but you learn it from the doctors who act, who have stepped outside of the conventional medicine box, like at this time, you know, like with Dr. Mark Hyman and these other alternative medicine gurus who really spearheaded the anti-aging medicine movement, functional mm -hmm. medicine movement. You start to incorporate these things and watch these things with patients. You realize, well, I don't have to be ever be 
have mental illness at all. Mm-hmm. You realize that this is no longer your life. There's a real growing experience women can have. They start to learn about who they are and what they're capable of. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, so it's, it, it gets to be a, a pretty transformative, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Marie, you have shared so much with us today. And it has been such a joy to learn from you. And I know that this has helped so many women kind of start to learn a little bit more um, about HRT. So thank you so much. You bet. It's nice to be here with you, Jen. Yes. All right. Thank you for listening to the Fit News Podcast, and we will catch you next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Fit News Podcast. I'm your host, Jen Shaver, and I'm on a continuing mission to help you stay strong, healthy, and happy. A special thank you to our producer, Noah Martin, and Retrospection Multimedia. Tune in to the Fit News Podcast every Monday to get your tips for living your best midlife. These episodes are live streamed weekly in our Facebook group. Be sure to comment, like, and subscribe to Fit News Podcast for your weekly health advice. To join the Facebook group, visit strongforlifefitness.com.